Do you want victory? You can have it in Christ Jesus. Time once again for Abiding in Christ with Jim Wood. You have to step back, evaluate the various positions in light of Scripture, and then re-engage with a godly perspective. Pastor Wood is the founder and executive director of Wears Valley Ranch, a Christian home and school for kids from crisis situations. Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. You can contact the program by calling 866-41-ABIDE or by visiting us on the web at pastorwood.org. And now, here's your host, Jim Wood. We read in the book of Jude, but you, dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Apart from my relationship with God, my most important relationship is with my wife. Susan and I have been married very happily for over 32 years. We know each other so well that we often finish each other's sentences. I intentionally tell my wife, I love you, many times, every day. Certain other phrases have been spoken between us tens of thousands of times. But if our communication became nothing more than a series of worn cliches, it would indicate that the love we profess for each other was growing cold. We need warm and vital communication. This involves listening and responding in the moment. The Old Testament prophets often heard God speak to them. They would then act on his instructions with his authority. Jesus said, I only do what the Father tells me to do. I only say what the Father tells me to say. Jesus could only say what he said and do what he did as he listened to his Father in times of prayer. We do not need to hear an audible voice as God speaks with us. God lives within his children and has given us his word. As we study scripture, we learn to recognize God's voice. We must learn to persevere in prayer in order to hear God speak and to see God act. In other words, we're not supposed to simply place our order with God and then wait to see what happens. Jesus says to ask, seek, and knock. Literally, he says, keep on asking, keep on seeking, and keep on knocking. A lot of us aren't good at keeping on, even though we say that we believe the scriptures, and we're told fervent prayer is powerful and effective. I know that many people have difficulty listening and persevering. I don't want to mislead anyone into thinking that I do not have this struggle myself. It's much easier for me to talk about prayer or teach on prayer than it is to engage in certain aspects of prayer. When I check myself with the ACTS prayer formula, I find certain elements of prayer easy, others more difficult, and some especially hard. If I want to continue to grow in my walk with God, I must exercise those areas that are weak. Instead, as I check my prayer pulse, I find myself focusing on the aspects of prayer that I find easiest and most enjoyable. I have no trouble with the A or the T in ACTS. Adoring the Lord and giving him thanks come easily to me. Well, this is good because adoration and thanksgiving are two of the most important aspects of prayer. In fact, God's wrath is poured out on those who fail to offer adoration and thanksgiving. Check Romans 1. 
Whether we study the various aspects of science or simply enjoy looking at the beauty all around us, our hearts should be moved to praise and adoration. Whether we gaze through a telescope or a microscope, or even if we just enjoy gardening and bird watching, we ought to exclaim at the Creator's wisdom. When the seasons change, or a baby learns to speak, or we taste a meal or enjoy a symphony, we should be moved to adore the giver of every good and perfect gift who blesses us in countless ways. I am continually awestruck at how great God is, and I've learned through difficult circumstances to give thanks for God's great mercies. My heart is full of thanksgiving. When we ponder what God has done to save us, how can we not feel overwhelmed? When we realize our own sinfulness and our utter dependence upon God's mercy and grace, it is easy to give thanks to God. A friend of mine remarked, anywhere outside of hell is grace. Well, this is a fact. I know that if God were to give me what I deserve, I'd be destroyed. This helps me to keep a sense of perspective even when circumstances are painful. My eldest son, Paul, has provided many opportunities for me to express ardent gratitude to my Heavenly Father. Paul was born of spina bifida and hydrocephalus. He's wheelchair-bound and continues to have medical complications. He had 25 surgeries by the time he was 23 years old. I've often been tempted to think if God understood what I understand, he would have healed my son long ago. But I know that God understands the whole picture, the eternal picture. He doesn't just understand what I understand. He understands far more. God has repeatedly spoken to my wife and me through his word beginning right after Paul was born. He has said to us what he said to Moses so long ago when Moses complained to God of his speech impediment. God said, Who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? When we run into difficult situations, some of us want to blame the devil. We ask God to please come fix things and make us comfortable again. The Apostle Paul cried out to the Lord on three occasions, asking him to remove his thorn in the flesh. God responded, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I don't like being weak. I like being strong. Yet God often has to put us in a position where we can't, but he can. God proves himself faithful over and over and over again as we see his grace in the midst of life's storms. After the storm, we say, praise the Lord, I'm glad that's over with. But there will always be more testing, more difficulty, and more challenges until we arrive in heaven. My son Paul continues to provide challenges in our prayer life. While he is far more independent than we were led to believe he would ever be able to achieve, the independence itself makes us more dependent on God as we pray for Paul's safety. Once, while we were awaiting Paul's arrival from college, he called on his cell phone. Dad, I'm on Interstate 40. I responded, great, son. We're looking forward to having you home. Paul said, not so great. I asked, what's the matter? Well, I don't think the car is going to be salvageable. My heart sank as I realized, you've been in a wreck. Are you all right? Yes, sir. What happened? 
I lost control of the car. We later discovered that the brakes on Paul's hand controls had locked up. Because Paul must steer with only one hand in order to use hand controls, it was difficult for him to maintain control of the car at interstate speed when the brakes locked up. He skidded across the right lane, across the shoulder, into a ditch where the car rolled over several times and caught fire shortly after. Two men stopped immediately after the wreck, removed Paul from the car before it caught on fire. They got his wheelchair out of the back seat and assembled it. Paul must break his wheelchair down into four parts before carefully placing it behind him in the back seat. Most of Paul's family and friends who have helped him do this still find assembling his wheelchair difficult. These men not only assembled the chair and placed Paul in it while the car was smoldering, but they also found his glasses on the floorboard, put the glasses on Paul's face, and moved him to the shoulder of the interstate to await the ambulance. Paul told us later, It was as if they knew I couldn't get out of the car by myself. I must have been in shock. They just pulled the wheelchair out of the back seat, put the wheels and seat back on the chair, and got me out before the car caught fire. They even found my glasses on the floorboard. These two men didn't give their names, and Paul was the only one who remembered that they had been there to help him. God spared Paul's life and sent what we believe to be angels to rescue him. The photos we took of Paul's car in the wrecking yard still give us chills. The dashboard, seats, and steering wheel had melted. No one seeing that car would expect the driver to have survived. I continue to thank God for sparing my son's life. When I see God at work in situations like this, it is easy for me to offer adoration and thanksgiving. Events like this provide opportunities to increase my awareness of how much I have to be thankful for. But when I come to the sea in Acts, I have a harder time. Yet, I can still find plenty of things to confess. Confession simply involves honestly agreeing with God about the way things really are. When I was a teenager, my pastor used to say, remember, God forgives sins, not excuses. In spite of this fact, I find that I am tempted to try to place the most positive spin on my motives and actions. I'll admit that I missed the mark, but I want God to see these failures in the context of a generally good performance. I end up having to confess what a lousy job I do at confession. When I'm honest, I'm horrified at how hard it is for me to be honest in this vital aspect of prayer. It helps to remember that the purpose of confession is not to inform God of things that may have missed his notice. He's aware not only of everything we do, but of everything we think, feel, and say. There is no aspect of our lives that's hidden from his sight. It's ludicrous for us to hold back from telling God the truth about ourselves. We need to be ruthlessly honest. Because God wants to help us come to grips with the truth about ourselves, He requires confession. Consider the patience with which he confronted our first parents when they had sinned in the Garden of Eden. Here's the quote. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me? She gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, 
The serpent deceived me, and I ate. It is not as if the omniscient God did not know the answers to the questions he was asking of Adam and Eve. But he graciously coaxes the truth out of Adam and Eve so that they will no longer try to hide from his presence. God is still at work today when we pray, tenderly encouraging us to face the truth about our sin so that we will be prepared to receive the gracious forgiveness and cleansing which we desperately need. You are listening to Abiding in Christ with Pastor Jim Wood. This program is paid for by the generous donations of listeners like you. You can hear Pastor Wood's teachings 24 hours a day, 7 days a week at PastorWood.org. And when you visit PastorWood.org, we would greatly appreciate it if you would tell us a little bit about yourself and, if possible, also make a donation to this ministry. So please visit PastorWood.org today or give us a call at 866-41-ABIDE. Hi, this is Pastor Jim Wood of Abiding in Christ. Living in the mountains of East Tennessee, I'm surrounded by phenomenal beauty in every season of the year. My wife and I live on a mountainside that adjoins the Great Smoky Mountains National Park, the most popular, most visited of all the national parks in the USA. Our neighbors include bears and bobcats, foxes and raccoons, even possums and skunks. Just down the hill from our house, is the beautiful campus of Wares Valley Ranch, a miraculous place where God is busy changing lives from the inside out. On this program, you'll hear interviews, monologues, but mostly you'll hear the expository preaching that I do here at the ranch. Because I'm often speaking to a room full of children, you may occasionally hear background noises or illustrations and vocabulary chosen for a child's frame of reference. But the one thing I pray you will hear every time is God's Word, the eternal, inerrant Word which points us to Jesus. I'm delighted to partner with this station in bringing these messages to you, and I'd like to get to know you better as you get to know us. Please visit us on the web at pastorwood.org. That's pastorwood.org. Click on the link that says Contact Us and let us hear from you. We'd love to know the station where you listen. And feel free to share any prayer requests as well. We actually do pray for the specific requests that folks send us, and we love hearing how God answers those prayers. Again, the website is pastorwood.org. That's pastorwood.org. To step out of my comfort zone Into the realm of the unknown where Jesus is When I come to the S in the Acts formula, I struggle terribly. Supplication is painfully hard for me. I find it easy to come to God with a general request for God to, quote, bless people. But it's hard for me to seriously intercede. I prefer to read names to God and add the word bless as a prefix to the names. But if all I pray for is general blessing, I will never know when my prayers are answered. Real supplication involves praying for God to do particular things in the lives of specific people. This kind of praying is not only time-consuming, it requires mental concentration, and it opens me up to disappointment. 
This is precisely why I find supplication the most difficult aspect of prayer. I don't like waiting, and I especially don't like disappointments. I am keenly aware that my experience with my son Paul is the main reason for this. While I've often found reason to thank God for sparing Paul's life, God knows if he gave me a blank sheet of paper and offered for me to write down my top five prayer requests, the first three or four things on the list would all be the same. God, please heal my son. Paul has suffered for so long. God knows if I could fill in a blank check, it would be for Paul's physical healing. Other concerns seem relatively minor by comparison. Paul's healing is what I want. God has not done what I want. Paul continues to have ongoing health problems related to his spina bifida. So when somebody asks me to pray for what they want, I feel like saying, well, God hasn't given me what I ask, so why should I pray for what you want? I don't like admitting this, and it's not something I dwell on, but if we're going to be honest about prayer, we have to take our own pulse every now and then and look at what we are struggling with and honestly ask ourselves why we struggle. Theologically, I have a deep conviction that God is the sovereign ruler of the universe. I'm utterly convinced that his righteousness and his kindness are real. And I'm often grateful that Paul's condition is not worse. But because God has not seen fit to do what I want in this area, where I care so deeply, I often fail to spend adequate time conversing with my father in supplication for Paul or anyone else. I simply change the subject. I know God is in control. He rules the universe. Ultimately, his will is going to be done. Therefore, when it comes time for supplication, I'm tempted to limit my prayer to, okay, God, go ahead and do whatever you're going to do. I want to simply pray the words of the old hymn, Have Thine Own Way, Lord. I know he's going to have it anyway. But this attitude short circuits an aspect of prayer that the Old and New Testaments clearly reveal as vital. When my words of supplication resemble a combatant's expression of belligerent surrender rather than a child's trust in his father, I know my attitude is wrong. I must learn to do what God asks of me, regardless of my feelings. I want to nurture the most important relationship in my life. Supplication is an opportunity for me to wrestle with God until my will is conformed to his. By cutting my prayers short in this area, I miss the blessing and fail to see the beauty of God's loving design. Though I'm tempted to relate to my Heavenly Father this way, it's very painful on those occasions when my wife relates to me in this way. I'm glad she seldom does this to me. Sometimes when I ask my wife, what would you like to do? If she's upset with me, she says, it really doesn't matter what I want to do, does it? My wife assumes I'll probably do what I want, and I'm only asking her to make her feel that she was in on the decision. I think, that's not true. I do care what she wants. I will make the decision, but I really do care what she thinks, and it's important to me that she be involved in the process. I want to talk about the decision, and I want us to work on it together so that when the decision is made, we're moving together in the same direction. Although my wife doesn't respond like this very often to my questions, when she does, our relationship suffers. Whereas my love for my wife is imperfect, God's love for his children is perfect. 
God asks what we think, what we feel, what we want. He's not playing games with us. He doesn't need our advice, but he wants us to know that we have been heard and that he understands how we feel. He wants us to draw close to him and begin to glimpse what he desires. I don't always make the right decisions. I don't always do the right thing. I don't always behave unselfishly. I don't always love perfectly. But God is perfect, and he always does what's right. He always does what's best. God wants us to pour out our hearts to him in supplication because he always loves perfectly. He will always do what's right, but he wants to discuss his plans with his children. He wants us to know what he is thinking and doing. It's vitally important for the sake of our relationship with our Heavenly Father that we go ahead, even when we feel like he's not listening, and tell him what we think. The Bible is filled with illustrations of God's people speaking passionately with him. We see this vividly in the Psalms. The psalmists honestly poured out their hearts to God. Psalm 73 is a great example. Quote, This is what the wicked are like. Always carefree, they increase in wealth. Surely in vain I've kept my heart pure. In vain I've washed my hands in innocence. All day long I've been plagued. I've been punished every morning. If I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me until I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. In the sanctuary of God, the answers to our supplications are found. In communing with our Father, we find understanding and reassurance in our most difficult and disturbing circumstances. When facing his death on the cross, Jesus, the only perfect man, prayed, Father, if there's any other way, please let this cup pass from me. Suppose Jesus had decided to boycott the whole thing in the Garden of Gethsemane. He had that option. But instead, he chose to willingly satisfy our debt. I lay down my life, Jesus said. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Jesus knew he had to go to the cross in order for us to be saved. Still, Jesus honestly agonized and cried out to the Father. He admitted how he hurt and how he dreaded what he knew was coming. Can you doubt that the Father's heart was torn by the cry of his Son? Yet his love for us caused him to allow Jesus to suffer this cruel death. This is the same love with which our Father loves us still. Because he loves us so much, he won't always give us what we want. In light of eternity, I know that God knows best. But because I struggle with supplication, I have to double my efforts in this area. I don't just pray because I feel like it. I don't just offer supplication from a spontaneously overflowing heart. I do it because it's right. I do it because it's an important part of having a healthy relationship with my Heavenly Father. I practice supplication because God wants me to. I have to overcome my feelings and do what I know is right. So let me ask you, do you have a weak pulse 
in some area of your prayer life? Are you going ahead and persevering in prayer in order to be spiritually healthy? Remember, God loves you and wants you to have life to the full. Well, folks, that's our reading for today. I hope that these messages on prayer are encouraging you in your conversations with God. I hope that you will use that little tool, ACTS, A-C-T-S, to remember that all these aspects of prayer are important. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Or, if you want to use pray, you can use that. Praise, repentance, asking for others, and finally, your own needs. But folks, whatever little outline you use, the important thing is to cultivate your conversations with God to make sure that you set aside time and that you pray sincerely. We want to encourage you in that. And if you'd like a copy of the book, Embracing His Will, the third book in our series on prayer, please visit us on the web at pastorwood.org. That's pastorwood.org. Or you can call us at 866-41-ABIDE. Be sure and tune in tomorrow. And may God bless you as you talk with him. Thank you for listening to Abiding in Christ with Pastor Jim Wood. Did you know that along with being an excellent Bible teacher, Pastor Wood has authored over a dozen books? We'd like to encourage you to visit PastorWood.org for resources and books authored by Pastor Wood and his wife Susan. You can also listen to or download teachings by Pastor Wood 24-7. Please visit PastorWood.org today. That's PastorWood.org. Hi, this is Jim Wood. I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. We've recently made a significant step of faith by adding several new stations to our outreach. Now, I need to hear from you. You can visit our website at pastorwood.org, or you can call us at 866-41-ABIDE. Either way, we really want to know that you're listening. So when you contact us, let us know the station where you hear the broadcast. It's simple, it's fast, and it's free. And I will greatly appreciate it. Thanks so much.